Check out award-winning Johnson & Boone Solicitor's unique product, Legal Guard. Ideal for businesses and individuals, Legal Guard ensures you get the legal help you need when you need it. Packages start from just £24 a month and include free expert advice, access to a library of legal documents, as well as exclusive discounts on a range of services. For more information, visit johnsonandboone.co.uk forward slash legal guard and quote the code FITCHESH. You're listening to Johnson & Boone Solicitors podcast exclusively on the pod station. Welcome everyone to episode 25 of the Johnson and Boom podcast. My name's Mark. Joining me this week after a long absence, presumably on holiday, sunning himself, although if he did, I can't see any evidence of a tan. It is uh, Rob Boom from Johnson and Boom fame. How are we doing, Rob? Hi, Mark. How's it going? I'm not too bad. Uh, so we've uh, we've been missing you for a while. We've had Chris doing a couple of shows. We had Jonathan doing one last week on Disclosure, which uh, if you listen to this show, you will possibly have already heard the Disclosure one where I got overly excited about all the wonders of Disclosure, uh, probably more so than Jonathan did. Uh, so uh, what are we covering today with you, Rob? So this week, we're going to talk about security for costs within civil litigation proceedings. Um, and this is a mechanism whereby in certain situations, a defendant can seek a security, uh, which is usually a payment into court, but it can be other things uh, from a defendant. And the idea is to cover some or all of the defendant's costs of defending the litigation if they're successful. OK, so uh, this very much forms a, a similar theme to what we covered in the last episode of Disclosure, uh, which is very much tactical and, and the intricacies of, of what tools are available to people during the course of a, a legal case. Now, if you want to listen to that previous show, uh, then you can check us out on johnsonandboon.co.uk. If you go to that website, there's a podcast tab. You'll find all the previous episodes. You'll also find links to all of the major podcast platforms. Uh, if you subscribe, to those then you will automatically get the latest show downloaded onto your device when we publish it Uh, so it's that easy and that's straightforward if you want an even easier option then just download the johnson and boone mobile app which is free on both apple and android app stores there's a, a podcast tab there where you can listen to the shows at your convenience plus a whole host of other wonderful features such as being able to book an appointment with a member of the team uh, you can see all of the different services uh, you can access your legal guard subscription if uh, you have one of those and of course if you don't and you don't know what i'm talking about there's an episode about that as well which you can find on the mobile app and download it's a cyclical thing isn't it rob it certainly is <laughs> so um if you've managed to uh, digest all of that stuff um, returning to uh, the security costs, the topic for today, um, what we try and do is each episode, we go into a, a bit of detail about these various areas of, of, of the legal sector 
to help you understand a bit more about them, why they might exist, how you can use them to your benefit. So if you are having a problem or you are anticipating there being a problem, or perhaps you don't even realize that there might be a problem, but here in the podcast you realize there might be, you can either do a few bits and pieces based upon the recommendations that Rob and his team make to resolve those issues or head them off early on. Or alternatively, you can give Johnson and Boone a call and they can ultimately help you out at uh, the given time. So, where do we start with the uh, security costs? I guess you've sort of briefly explained uh, what they are, but do we need to understand the principles of, of, of why you would want to do this or why someone would want to try and force this to happen? Yeah, so I think, there's, I think the starting point would be just to um, just to set out a position that there is a fundamental principle that allows litigants to pursue and enforce their rights in court. So when the court are going to consider an application such as this, they will be looking to establish a balancing act between justice for both parties. So these applications are only suitable in really specific circumstances. In basic terms, what we're essentially saying is everybody has a right to use the legal system if they feel there is a dispute that they need that legal system, the court system, as it were, to guide and help and make a decision on that issue. However, the flip side to that is some people may try and abuse that system or try and pursue it without necessarily being able to cover the consequences if ultimately it turns out that they were wrong. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Mark. So the idea of these applications is that um, a defendant who's subject to litigation by a claimant is forced to defend their legal position. And as a result of having to defend themselves, they've incurred legal costs. So if that defence is then ultimately successful, they need to be able to be fairly sure or, or have a chance at least of being able to recover the costs that they've incurred. So in order to cover that, in certain, in certain situations, they can make an application to court to seek security on that front. Okay, so when trying to decide either whether or not you want... To, well, I suppose that's, that's the first question, really. When might someone feel the need to make one of these applications? What kind of red markers do they want to be looking out for to make them stand up and go, mm, maybe I want to pursue or at least consider this as an option? I suppose the place to start, if you're going to talk about whether it should be considered, is when it can be considered. And there's only very narrow scope in terms of when um, a defendant will be in a situation where the claimant who brought the claim was a qualifying um whether the person who brought the claim actually qualified for one of these applications to be made against them. So it's things like if the claimant is resident outside of the jurisdiction, um, if they've changed their address since the proceedings began with, an, with a view to evading any consequences of the litigation, which is, is kind of what you're talking about. Um, if they fail to give an address on the claim form or they gave an incorrect address, so it looks a bit dodgy in terms of them actually wanting to show their whereabouts. Um, or if they've taken steps in a situation to move assets away 
so as they would be difficult to enforce against. So they might have transferred assets out of their control. But the most regular and commonly used one is when a company um, or other corporate body um, is the claimant and the defendant has reason to believe they won't be able to pay a, a cost order if one is secured against them. And what kind of things will the court be deciding when it's considering that kind of an application? So the court will consider a number of things. First of all, they'll go through the factors in, in terms of deciding whether an order can actually be granted. If it is going to be granted, then they'll decide the level of the security, how the security is to be provided, when it has to be provided by, and then obviously the consequences if it isn't given. And why is it that the company slash other corporate body one is the most common? It's normally because when a claimant is is a, a limited company and a defendant is defending, in the back of their mind, because of the nature of the protection that's given to the individuals behind the limited company, worst case scenario, the company will just close and disappear. It will be dissolved. So if the company who's the claimant has insufficient assets or in some circumstances has no assets and say the balance sheet shows that they haven't got a great amount of cash to hand in the last accounts, that's real concern for the claimant if they're in a higher value you know, piece of litigation that may cost them 10, 20,000 pounds to defend. They find themselves in a situation where if they win by, defend, by defending the position, they've lost because they can't recover their costs. And obviously, if they're unlucky enough to lose, they've lost. So the idea of these applications really is to give a level playing field in those instances, as long as there is genuine concern. So with it being the most common grounds that people look to seek for a security of costs, let's stick with that one for now um, and go through, I suppose, what a defendant needs to show to the court in order to persuade them that the claimant is unlikely to be able, is unlikely to be able to pay if for example they lose and there's a cost order awarded yeah sure so i mean first of all if we, if, if we stick with the provisions themselves they say that um, there is reason to believe um, that the company would be unable to pay now the term reason to believe is something that's been a problem for the court for a number of years and it's been interpreted in many ways and it's been subject to an appeal as well and reached the appeal courts in 2009. Um, In that instance, what had happened was the lower court had applied a threshold of there being significant danger um, and the court appeal said that wasn't sufficient. What what the courts are trying to do here is they, they have to make an evidential assessment as to the chances of a future event occurring. So the future event is the company can't pay it's for the defendant to provide evidence that they can't pay. So the ha- it, it, it's a case-by-case assessment. There have been cases in which it's been shown that um, an order will be granted on the basis that the claimant company is um, insolvent on the balance sheet. So not necessarily insolvent in the full sense of the word, but they have no cash. Their debts will outweigh um, the cash that they have at hand. If they're in a real stringent bad financial situation and they're bringing the litigation, then there's a mu- it, there's much more chance of an order being made. But it's for that reason that every single case has to be assessed. 
and these applications really are very sparingly made. It must be quite difficult to produce that kind of evidence for, I mean, a limited company, if you want to go back and listen to previous episodes, Rob goes through all the differences, certainly the legal differences between the likes of a, uh, a sole trader and a limited company and the like. So if you certainly if you know this already or you've listened to that episode, you'll understand this question a bit more. It's quite easy to perhaps get information about a limited company because, of course, it's all very publicly available. Their last trading accounts, you can do lots of checks because that's part and parcel of being a limited company uh, to get that kind of information. But is there a, a an evidential challenge for the likes of sole traders whose information might not necessarily be as as freely available? Well, if if you think back to the criteria. Um, a sole trader wouldn't be a target for this litigation unless they, uh, for this type of application, sorry, unless they lived outside of jurisdiction or had moved around or something like that. We're specifically talking about a company or a body such as a company because they are a particular risk in litigation because of the protection that the individuals behind them have got. So, I see. Um, it is always that little bit easier to get the information. And of course, like with anything else, if you just toddled off and made the application without a proper investigation or without asking the other side for information properly in the first instance, you're much more likely to fail in the application. Um, as I say, they're made sparingly and they're made in situations where there's genuine concern. And when there's genuine concern, it, it's you, normally the client doesn't have to go looking for that. It's apparent. Right. And are these the kind of applications where you would make without necessarily any warning to the other side? Uh, quite often we discuss how the courts usually require the parties to bat things out and try and reach an agreement and only if that fails come to them to get a decision. Uh, because I don't, I don't really see how in this case you can say to them, show us that you can afford to do it or do you? Is that what you say? Because I guess the other side are just going to say, no, we're not providing you with what are essentially confidential documents, like, for example, bank statements to, to prove to you we can afford to pay our bills. Yeah, you would always ask, actually, and I, I know that sounds strange, but before you make any application, really, within civil proceedings, you should always at least give the other side an opportunity to, to consent. But at the same time, you should be asking them for documentation for them to prove that they are in a financially stable situation. So you would always um, at least put them on notice that you intend to make the application. You'd invite them to give you information that would uh, maybe make you change your mind. Um, or that you, you could even ask that they agree for the security to be given. Let's say you've collated the evidence, you've made the application, and the court has agreed and and made the order that you've been looking for um what how do they determine what sort of level of security should be made how much money needs to be shown as existing in order for the defendant to essentially have the protection that they're ultimately looking for in most high value cases where this sort of thing would take place the parties will have already been through cost budgeting so whilst these applications should be made really quite early on or as soon as you possibly can. Um, often because cost budgeting now comes quite early in the proceedings as well, 
you'll already know and you'll have already shown the court the likely costs of the litigation for you defending it through to trial. If you haven't reached that stage, then you'll have to um, basically put together a cost budget that will show the court how much you're going to incur in defending the litigation. And then your starting point would be that you'd be asking the court for a security in, in, in the full amount. Um, there has been cases when the courts have gone on a, an, on a two thirds basis, but the security should always be sufficient, um, as, as a significant contribution towards the actual costs that you're going to incur. And why might a court not make an order? You give them all the evidence, and it might be exactly the same evidence on one case as you've done on another case, but why would the court in one instance say yes and in another say no? So if you remember at the start where the courts have to strike a balance here for justice, so um, it's important that the courts aren't allowing defendants to stifle litigation by demanding costs up front, because if a claimant's got a good case, they may never have to pay those costs anyway. You know, if, if the case has really good prospects, the fact that they don't have money now up front to pay costs that the defendant may have to bear themselves anyway at a later date isn't reason to stop the litigation from going forward. Um, so applications are routinely rejected on that basis. They're routinely rejected on the basis that the defendant just can't show that the claimant won't be able to um, to settle a cost order at the end. Or sometimes um, a claimant is also a, a counterclaimant. So you have a situation where the defendant is also a counterclaimant. So the claimant's claim in the first instance might be fairly straightforward, but the defendant, when they bring a counterclaim, has added an entire range of, of complexity. And it's the counterclaim really where all the costs are being incurred. In that instance, if you think back, we've said that it is only a defendant who can make these applications. So if the defendant also then becomes a claimant, they would fall away as well most of the time. Um, so it's it's fairly complicated, but there are lots of reasons why these applications fail. Um, and as we've said a few times, they are therefore really made sparingly. And we've mentioned this also in previous episodes but let's say again the off chance that people listening to this haven't listened to previous shows uh, is there a penalty for making these types of applications and ultimately not being successful because ultimately you i guess you're making the application because you're saying that this this claimant's potentially wasting everyone's time and going to land you with a big bill but I suppose the same could be said for the defendant making this application if it's slightly more spurious or even just intended to cause the claimant a bit of trouble. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So if, if you make one of these applications and it's not successful, a few things. Um, first of all, you've wasted your own money in making the application because it's a, it's a fairly complicated application to make. It will be listed for a hearing, so you will have attendance fees and things for going along if you're represented. But also, if you're not successful, you'll probably be ordered to pay the other side's costs as well. So you'll be in a much worse situation than what you were in the first place. The irony, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, it, it, it's like with all civil litigation, though. Applications should be made sparingly, and they should be made in instances where there's a genuine cause for them. So 
you wouldn't make one just on the off chance that you're going to get it. It, it. it requires proper assessments at the start and it will only be made in proper situations. You know, the courts um, wouldn't be happy if, if it was made, for example, in a situation where the claimant that you were trying to make it against was an individual who was resident in the UK, whose address was whose, whose address was known, and therefore there was no merit at all in the application. And also, don't forget that if you're making it on the basis that you say that the defendant has no reasonable prospects of success, then there are other applications available, such as strikeout applications or summary judgment applications. So this might not even be the best tool, anyway. And what kind of form does the security take? Presumably, it can't just be cash because if you don't have that cash, you, you're automatically going to fall foul of this disorder, aren't you? Yeah, it quite often is cash. I mean, it, it's it's usually a payment into court. So, let's say a defendant says that they're going to incur twenty five thousand pounds in defending a high value case, and the application is successful, the claimant would be ordered to pay twenty five thousand pounds into court which the court will hold until the conclusion of the case. But in situations where that isn't suitable, uh, maybe because the company hasn't got those funds, but maybe an individual behind the company has, then you could get into territory whereby a personal guarantee could be given. Um, and that really does test you know, how secure somebody thinks there is in the position, because if that was made against a, a director or a shareholder or something like that, um, they are then stepping out, aren't they, from behind from behind the protection that is given to a limited company, and it is then personally then that would be paying it if it all went wrong. Um, but that situation is less common. Um, it is actually normally a payment that's required. Putting the money where the mouth is, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what should somebody do then if they think that they are in a situation where this is something they should be considering? So if they're already represented, then they need to have the chat with the solicitors who um, represent them at the moment, and they will talk them through the criteria that we've been through today um, and what the likely prospects of success of an application are. If they're not represented, then they need to get represented. This is not an application they should try on their own. We've literally done a whistle-stop tour of some of the main principles. Um, we could go on all day in terms of the different ways in which the courts have looked at each of the different factors, um, the different decisions that have been made. Um, and the application draft in itself is fairly complex as well in terms of the information that needs to go into the statement um, and, and how it's going to be done properly. So if you're not represented, you need to get representation. Uh, and obviously, if, if people want to have a chat with one of our team in terms of doing that, then we'd be more than happy to give that advice. Yeah, going back to what we said earlier, there was when you were listing all the criteria that the court look at, just to re-emphasise that we have literally only looked at the most common one out of that list, haven't we? We could have been here forever going through those other um, potential criteria. Yeah, what we do each week, isn't it, is we just give a taste of each of the topics and we don't even try and cover it in sufficient detail for people to be able to tackle it themselves. It's more to help people understand that there is an option within litigation. So, so taking this topic, for example, this situation might ring true with someone in as far as they are subject as a defendant to some litigation at the moment. Um, 
and they may have these types of concerns. They may not have known this was an option um, and now they know it is a potential option that they are able to, to explore. We, we were unable to cover it in sufficient detail for them to actually be able to go and do the application themselves. And as I say, in this instance, because of how complex it is, that would be fairly dangerous. I, I think as we cover these kind of topics, I know we, we always try and arm people with a bit of information to try and do certain things themselves so far as they're able. I, I guess ultimately there's no replacement for the time that has gone into getting qualified and the experience of doing the job for as long as you have a lot of the certainly the last couple of episodes the likes of the disclosure and this application some of the other stuff we've touched on there is a tactical element to all of this sometimes it's not necessarily the letter of the law that deals and resolves these things it's quite often how things are dealt with and the order in which they're done and sometimes the timing of doing these things which you would only really real realistically know and understand if you do this for a living yeah of course uh, i mean as i said before you know when we're looking at an application within the proceedings it might be someone is 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 thinking well i'm, I'm subject to these proceedings and i don't think the defendant's got any reasonable chance um and also you know am i going to get my money at the end if i win well this application might not even be the best one it might be that you want to make a different type of application, such as a summary judgment application, or a um, disclosure, think... or a disclosure one like the one we discussed, for them to be forced to disclose evidence. Yeah, there's lots of there's lots and lots of different types of application within civil proceedings. Um, sometimes no application is necessary, and unfortunately, you've just got to defend your position um, for as long as it takes to to, to a final trial. But before you go off and and and, and tackle something that is potentially costly if you get it wrong because you can end up paying the other side's costs um you should at least get some advice and then you can either follow that advice or not follow that advice but at least you've had it yeah very much so wise words young man <laughs> so hopefully uh that has given you a mere taster of the issue of uh applications for security for costs as i've mentioned previously there are 24 other episodes that uh, we have recorded so uh, it's well worth checking those out a lot of the things that we do run through a theme so if you listen to one and you then go through that theme everything else becomes a bit more it's the meat on the bone really um but it's never a replacement for getting some cold hard advice so rob if people do want to get in touch with the team what are the best ways of being able to do that and there's lots of ways that they can get in touch with us. So obviously you can call us um, 0151-637-2034. You could download our app, which you mentioned earlier on, and you can book appointments straight into any of the diaries of our solicitors. Um, and in order to help you pick which one you need, it's all divided down into the types of work that each of us do. Um, so you make sure you get an appointment with the right one. You can make contact with us through any of our social media pages. So we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, or you can go on our website and we've got a message board in which you can message us and, and that sends us a message through. And then finally, you can drop us an email. So um, info at johnsonburn.co.uk um, and one of our team will, will pick that up and come back to you. Uh, now, the, there's even, if if you would like a meeting in person, of course, uh, there is always meet at the office, but we do actually have another potential opportunity uh, for people to come and meet 
you in the flesh. They might be able to meet me in the flesh as well, although we'll obviously be wearing masks because uh, Johnson and Boone are, are going out on tour. We we were supposed to do a, uh, a an exhibition in London back in March, and then the world went to pot uh, and that got promptly put on hold, didn't it? But uh, it's been rearranged. It certainly has, yeah. So um, we were going down to London to um, a marketing expo in which we were going to um, meet lots and lots of different businesses um, and lots and lots of people were going to be in attendance. Obviously, that was going to take place in, I think it was the end of March and shortly before, um, as you say, the world fell apart. So that is now rebooked in um, for November. Um, and if anyone's down that way, obviously, they can come and say hello. Yep, so we'll, what we'll do is we'll stick the details in the show notes and we'll get a bit more specific information for the next episode so that if you do fancy coming on down and meeting us in person and finding out a bit more information about uh, the business, Legal Guard, even just having a chat just for the sheer hell of it, why not, then uh, you can do so because uh, it'd be nice to see everyone, wouldn't it? Yeah, we've also got some goodies that we'll be giving out on the day, so it'll be worth it just for that. Indeed, there's going to be some competitions with some fantastic prizes which are going to be running, so I'm sure we'll announce them on the show as well so people might have a chance of winning some of those. Yeah, we will. Uh, we'll probably also roll the, the competition open for um, for people on a wider scale as well just because not everyone will be able to get down there on the day. How exciting. So watch this space. Uh, Rob, thank you very much for your uh, help today. It's been another fascinating show. Um, and we'll catch you all next time. Thanks, Mark. Get social at Johnson & Boone on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter.